0: We're talking about being storytellers. We're following the story as told by Luke. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 1. But as we do this, I want to ask you to think for just a moment about what your eyes say while you're telling your story about your life with Christ. I kind of take this from experiences I've had over the last couple of years since we've been here with some of our Awanas kids. Now, you know that we do Awanas on Wednesday nights, And uh, my experience has been and my assignments have been since I've been here on the Wednesday night Awana's program is to take the large group Bible study time, story time, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I especially enjoyed that, but of that whole process, I like the little kids' uh, time, I don't know, I don't really want to say the most, but at least it has its own kind of reward. And part of that is with the smaller kids as I deal with them each week. What I've tried to do is to use stories and kind of tangible, concrete things to help them tie in with it. And I always know when I'm connecting with those little kids when they start engaging me in the story with their eyes. You know what I'm talking about with little you know, kindergarten, first grade kids? You start telling them a story and you know that they're into it when they start going... Like this, and they're looking at you. And then you really know you got them when they start jumping in and telling you their own stories that match that one. And it's full of stuff like you know, they they start breathing like this, and and their eyes get big, and, and they start and, and there's lots of this um 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 stuff. How do you tell your story about your life with Christ? Do you get emotionally involved? Or have you reached that level of Christian sophistication that basically says, I can go into robotic autopilot and tell you my testimony and never emotionally invest? I want us to tackle this morning one of the great opportunities, problems, however you want to call it, Uh, in doing this thing called the Christian life and living out our faith as it ties to our emotions. Now, I have to tell you as we go into this that uh, this text that we're about to look at this morning, we're going to start in verse 39 in just a few moments, but uh, in this text we find hidden away and kind of running through it as a thread, we find this idea of being emotionally invested in what's happening with what God's doing. But I'm cautious about that. One of the main reasons I'm cautious about that is because I'm not really big on the emotional part of who we are. Before I get to that, let's go ahead and read our passage as we jump in here. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39, we find these words. Well, maybe I should set the context for you very quickly. You remember as we've gone into Luke's gospel now, we saw where the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah and gave him the prophecy that his wife... Could I say his old lady? (laughs) Normally they don't talk like that, but that's literally true of her. She's beyond childbearing age. Uh, And so the prophecy is that your wife, Zechariah, is going to bear a son, and he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now, after that, Gabriel also appears to Mary, and he makes the prophecy with her that she will conceive, and she's... Remember, her problem with that was biologically it's not possible given where she was in her life. Uh, And yet she would be the mother of Messiah who would be called Jesus. And so on the tail end of that now, we pick up the story in verse 39, and here's what we read. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb Here's the emotional part of this. I want us to get this here, but i got to tell you on the front side of it, I'm not a big uh, fan of emotional stuff. Part of the reason for that is because through the years, uh, I've seen so much damage done in relationships through a life that just kind of surrenders to the emotion of the moment. I lived for 20 years... In a part of the state of Texas, where it was a cultural acceptable kind of behavior to be overcome with jealous rage. Now, I saw what that did in relationships. And I saw on the news on a regular basis every day it seemed that somebody was going out and shooting or knifing somebody because, well, I just got angry and after all, you know us, we're just angry people. And that surrender to emotion is a very dangerous thing in our lives. Even those of us on the other end of the spectrum, who all of life is a party for us. And I've sat in my office every place I've ever lived and ministered. I've sat in my office with people who just live for the party and the responsible side of living just gets pushed to the side because we just need the emotional stimulus of having a good time. I'm not a real big fan of emotions, but the reality is that we're all made by our creator as emotional people. It is part of how God made us. And that means when you put it all together, we have to find that balance point. How do you live with your emotions and not be controlled by your emotions? Well, in the Christian life, that's a really critical question as we'll see as we work through this message this morning. We need to understand it, this thing called emotions and emotionalism. And especially we need to understand how it fits us in our daily Christian life. Because churches are full of people. And I'll talk about this as we go. Churches are full of people who are in it for the thrill of the fill. And they judge their whole church experience on whether or not I felt good at church today. So let's see what the passage has to say about that. First of all, on the emotional component side of this text, look at verse 39. Now this is a little bit hidden away. Uh, we got to pull it out of this, but it is very definitively there. And It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. That's the English Standard Version. The New International Version says, I think, Mary got ready and she hurried. And those are not emotional kind of statements, but the original Greek language here, the word that's used here, points us to an emotional kind of a thing because it says that she eagerly went to do this. The reason she went with haste is because it's driven by this sense of emotion that she can't wait to see what's there. Well, actually, let's kind of put ourselves in her position to make sure we get a handle on this. What is it that moves her into this emotional response that causes her to get up and take this probably three to four-day journey to get to where Elizabeth was? Let's go back in the story and let's remember In Mary's encounter with Gabriel, this was last week's message, if I remember right. In that encounter, Mary gets this prophecy that she will be the mother of Messiah. It's going to be a divine thing in her life. And with that comes this prophecy about who Jesus is and what he will accomplish. And so that sets in on her, but she's biologically astute. She recognizes that there's a biological hurdle that has to get jumped here. And so you remember the question that she asked Gabriel? <laughs> she asked Gabriel, what about this sorry, no good husband to be of mine? Right? No. See, I just want to make sure you're, I'm kind of thinking you're just painted out there today. Are you there? You engaged in this? All right. So what did she ask Gabriel? Gabriel? How can this be? All right? It's a biological question. She's smart enough to know that she cannot be with child on a human level because she's not gone there. And what is Gabriel's response to her? With God, nothing's impossible. That's the whole point of last week's message. So if you missed it, it's not going to be online. You just got it, okay? Okay? the whole point god with god nothing is impossible but gabriel goes further with her he says to her with god nothing's impossible and as a matter of fact the impossible has already occurred you remember that old lady cousin of yours relative of yours, named Elizabeth, who is a laughingstock around with the people around her because she's not been able to have children and she's way past the age of having children. Well, guess what? She's with child. She's in her sixth month of pregnancy. So with everything that Mary has gotten from Gabriel in this particular encounter, all of that stuff now moves her so deep on the inside that she eagerly, hurriedly, makes her way to Elizabeth. A decided emotional trigger has been pulled. That's Mary. But there's another one here. Did you notice verse 41 as we went through this? When Mary shows up, it says verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, I like this verse, especially when I'm preaching and looking out, because I watch those of you who are mothers and I can see in your head, you're going back to what it felt like when the baby used to do somersaults and stuff in your womb. Now this is one, this, this one is significant because of what triggers it. Now verse 41 doesn't say what triggers it. It just says that he leapt in her womb. But she gives us a commentary on that in verse 44. When we get down to that, it says that he did that because of what? Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and emotion. And we're going to come back to that statement again in quite a bit in just a little bit. But let me give you another one now in verse 42. These are all the things of emotions that are tied in this passage. Verse 42 literally says, and she exclaimed. That is Elizabeth. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, in verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. NIV says, in a loud voice, she exclaimed. The Greek language here, <laughs> again, it's full of emotion. It's, it's, there, there are words in Greek that you can use to say she called out or she said... But Luke doesn't use those words here. The word that he uses is pulled over, and it is a word that particularly means called out excitedly. Some of us from our church, not me, but some of you, recently went on a roller coaster trip. I've been on roller coasters, okay? You know that sound that you make when you go over the top and you're going down, and people all around you are screaming like children? That's the word here. It's a primal scream, sort of. I I say that because um, of my own experience. A number of years ago, uh, we still lived in the Rio Grande Valley, and uh, I had to mow the yard on a regular basis because my kids got up and left home. Uh, Now, we had several palm trees in our yard. I, I grew to despise palm trees when we lived down there, okay, for a lot of reasons. They they harbor a million roaches in a palm tree. But on top of that, we had one particular palm tree that grew out in the corner of our front yard, and it was one of those that never got really tall. We were there 20 years, and it was there when we got there, and it was still probably about 11 or 12 feet tall when we left. But it was one of those that continued to grow uh, palm fronds. Even though it didn't grow taller, it continued to grow out, and so I had to always go in there and cut those things. And they have big old thorns on them. It's just a hassle. Uh, and so this one needed to be pruned, and I didn't really want to prune it. Prune it, and so I was mowing the yard, knowing that I was going to have to kind of duck under it and all that kind of stuff. Here's one of the reasons I hate palm trees. That particular kind, they house yellow jacket nests that get huge on the underside of the leaf. All right? So I pushed my lawnmower through there, and all of a sudden, a million and forty yellow jackets came off. And one of them tagged me right on the back of my neck. Now I'm embarrassed now about the sound that came out of my mouth. <laughs> and I, as I was running, screaming, pushing the lawnmower to a safe place, it dawned on me what was going on. And then I, what do you do? You look around to see if any of your neighbors are out watching you. Right? That's this word. That's the picture that we get of this word. She called out excitedly. Elizabeth did. So we find Mary with an emotional response here. We find in utero John the Baptist with an emotional response. By the way, there's an argument in the abortion debate. And we find Elizabeth with an emotional response. So here's the test question of the day. If all three of those are responses, what do the triggers have in common? In other words, what triggered each of those responses here? I'll go back and look through it. What you're going to find is, here's the basic point. When God shows up, now, I need to probably clarify that term, okay? shows that w- I said this last week. If you're, if you're a Christian and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. You never are away from him, okay? So that's the reality of this theologically. So when I say shows up here, I'm talking about one of those encounters that you have with God when you know without question God's here. Every other time you know mentally that he's here, intellectually, rationally, all that stuff, but this is the time when God shows up and you know nobody could ever talk you out of the fact that God visited me in that moment. When God shows up, there is often an emotional component involved in that. Let me give you a few general truths and applications that kind of spin off of that. Here's the first one. When God shows up in your life, the emotions can be electric. Now, they can be varied, but electric nonetheless. You ever have one of those times with God, maybe in a church service, maybe in a concert, maybe in a Sunday school class, maybe in the quietness of your living room, one of those times when you know that God in all of his greatness... Has had something to say to you in that moment. What does that do to you? I've sat here in this church building various times and in the middle of a worship service, just want to cry. It's not because the music's horrible, that's what you're thinking, but that's not it. (laughs) It's actually just the opposite. I remember, multiple times, but I remember when Brian and Kristen came the first time. By the way, today's his first day of his second year. And I remember one of those first services, maybe the very first service, as I sat and I listened and began to rehearse in my heart and my mind where God was taking us as a church. And it was an emotional thing. I'm, this is a self-revelation of a guy who doesn't really like the emotion side of life too much. But there have been other times where it wasn't the just the expression that comes out in tears. There have been other times in my life that I wanted to just yell. You know, I used to do that when the Cowboys played. I hadn't had an opportunity to do that in years with the Cowboys. But hope springs eternal. They'll start training camp in a couple of weeks and maybe, maybe. But it's not the same as going to a football game and yelling for your team as it is when you're in the presence and the Holy Spirit is real in that moment and it just makes you want to do what Elizabeth did. Just cry out. When God shows up in your life, the feeling can be electric. And here's where I go back to where we started today. When God shows up like that and the emotions of your relationship with him are very tangible for you in that moment, one of the things that God does with that is he allows it to be a push in our storytelling. Now, you know by now that I'm using storytelling as a synonym for the witnessing that we're supposed to be doing. But I don't want to use the term because so often we just take those terms and think, oh, yeah, well, I know all about that stuff. And we park it over here on the side. But it is about telling a story. And one of the great things about what God does with us in these times when he engages our emotions in our time with him is it gives us something as we're talking to people. It's like those little kids whose eyes get bigger and they can't wait to tell you what God's been doing. Well, they don't talk about what God's been doing. They just talk about what is. But you see, we train them out of that. We get them more sophisticated. So we sit them down and we say, here's the way you tell people about Jesus. And we make it this historical dry drivel that the world looks at us and goes, I don't need that. I don't need a history lesson. I don't need any new philosophy. I'm just trying to make sense of my life. When God shows up in your life and he gives you a story to tell, it's engaging emotionally. And it enables you to get invested in the moment. It gives you life in your story, is what it does. Now, unfortunately, as Christian people, we often get locked up into this dry historical storytelling stuff that I was talking about earlier. And that's kind of my beef with these witness training things that churches tend to do. And I've done a lot of them myself and I've been through a lot of them and I'm certified, (laughs) you know I'm certifiable, but certified in some of these Southern Baptist ways of doing witnessing. But you know what? There's no substitute for being able to sit down with somebody and let the life of your experience with God just spill out of your mouth. Let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let me tell you about how I once was lost and now I'm saved if you want to go to the hymn stuff. Let me tell you about life. But you see, all of this comes back to what I've been preaching for a couple of weeks now and that is that being in position to hear from God because what happens so often in our churches and I was raised in a denomination that was great at this. That is, we have an experience with Christ and then we go for 15, 20, 40 years and don't have another experience with him. And so all we have to talk about is the stuff from years ago. And there's no life in that for people today. And so what happens then is in our churches, we begin to have to try to manufacture emotions. Emotions. See, emotionalism is a cheap substitute for life. What I've tried to say here now, now we're into the heart of, of really what I'm trying to get at today. So many churches and so many church staffs try to work up worship. And because we know that 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 life happens when God shows up and there's that emotional tie-in with that and nothing communicates like that. When we get out of step with God and we go long periods of time without hearing from him, we lose that spark, if you will. But we know that it's gone, so we start trying to work it up. And so we have classes in our colleges and seminaries on how to do worship. And we have staff meetings, and I've been part of hundreds of these, I suppose, where we as a staff sit down and we try to figure out how are we going to elevate the emotions of the day. And we need to hear it's a cheap substitute for what happens when God shows up. My cousin attended a church, I think it was just a couple of times, Uh, He's kind of like me. we got lots of big boys in our family. Uh, And he didn't go to this church because, well, he said it to me this way. If you're going to go to that church, not this one, the one where he lives, East Texas, not here. If you're going to go to that church, you need to wear your tennis shoes to church. Uh, I said, why why is that? He said, because they're going to make you run. I said, I'm not going to that church. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, in that church. When they get into the song service and the preaching service, people just run laps around the inside of the worship center. So we're going to start that today. So this section goes first. And I'm thinking to myself, I ain't going to that church. I ain't ever going to that church. But you see, the deal was they're creating excitement. You know, in our day... There's been this push among some churches on what's called holy laughter. I saw more of that at a bar when I was a kid than I see in churches. Matter of fact, I've. <laughs> um, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> I've been told by church people you shouldn't be laughing in church, it's irreverent to laugh in church. You know the theological term for that? Hogwash. That's crazy. That's crazy. Think with me for a moment. Let's do a little bit of sanctified imagination. Do you believe Jesus was fully human? I know fully divine, but fully human? Yes? What about his disciples? Fully human? Can you imagine just with the stuff we know from Scripture? Can you imagine some of the moments that those guys must have had 12 men together walking around, hanging out together? Do you think for a second that they went three-plus years and never laughed about anything? I be- I can't wait. I-, I know we get to heaven. We're not going to be worried about questions that we have down here. But I'd love to hear Jesus just spend a little bit of time talking about how idiots those guys were walking around doing stuff. You know, somebody fell out of the boat and all the fishing they did. You know, they're in a boat and somebody's out there trying to walk, and you know, the boat's about to flip. You know, that happened. Imagine Jesus sitting around just shaking his head, laughing at those guys, going, You guys, y'all gonna change the world? Yeah, I think he still laughs. I think in heaven, he looks at me and goes, Son, what are you thinking? If we can't laugh in church, where are you going to laugh? God made us this way with emotions. And we should embrace that, but here's the deal. We cannot fall into the trap that says, if we don't feel it today, let's work something up. Let's get a good video that will make people feel bad or good. I went through this. By the way, that is no... That is not a statement against what we're doing here with these videos. That's not what I'm talking about. Unless we fall into the trap that says, let's tag on their emotions a little bit and show a video that'll move them. Then that's wrong. Or it could be wrong at least. See, I learned this back in the days when I was a youth minister and I was working with these guys and we were planning this youth camp every summer, two weeks back to back and we had kids from all over South Texas that were coming to that thing and we kind of fell into a trap that we knew that usually it was like Wednesday night when the big stuff happened and God showed up. Hey, that's a real thing. My son, my oldest son, was like six years old, went to camp because I was on staff and Teresa got to come also and so he just got to tag along And he was sitting in a worship service because our group, this was back in the late 80s, uh, we started showing music videos in a church service back in the 80s. And Brandon saw something and God showed up in that and he gave his life to Christ that night in our hotel room over there. But you see what happened is over a period of time that was going on and then it started slacking off. And so we on the executive staff started saying, how are we going to plan this so that we can tag the emotions and get a response? And it didn't work. And the next year it didn't work. And finally somebody, one of our advisors on the outside said to us, you know what guys, Here is what's going on. Y'all are trying to plan God's work. And what you really need is for God to show up. And Churches all across America today fall into that same trap. And so people come in, and if they don't feel it, they walk out and they say, that's a terrible music director. Or if they don't get it, they walk out and they say, we need a new preacher. Because it just doesn't feel So let's manipulate the situation And let's get it to feel right Don't forget the trigger in all of this was God showed up The emotions follow the visit They don't build it up Now that points me to one other thing Okay, I'm halfway through And it's time for me to go So I want to say this very quickly And I'll be done. It's the reason I titled this sermon Sixth Sense or What. Here's the deal if that that I've just been talking about for about 30 minutes now is true, you can be sure that the devil is going to do all he can to fake the emotions. And he plays Yankee Doodle Dandy with Christians all the time, reducing their entire Christian life to emotions. So here's the deal. Look at this again. There's clarity that comes when we listen for the voice of God. And every one of these things, clarity, by the way, the state or the quality of being clear. What we need is to be clear as we determine divine activity or cheap substitute emotionalism. We find that in this passage. But before we get there, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Some of y'all met my mother last week. She was over here, sat down here where Teresa is sitting today. And um, When I was going through that time of my life where I was extremely rebellious and you know drug years and all that kind of stuff, I lived in the same town as them, but I didn't call or go by and see her for six months or either one of my parents for six months. You know why? Because my mother's weird. Weird, strange, weird. Now, Teresa and I got married. One of the first things that she said to me, was, your mother's weird. (laughs) In this particular context, my mom had this unique ability to look through my eyes into my heart. During those times that I was running from God and doing my own thing and drugs and all that kind of stuff, I didn't want to go over there because every time I'd go over there, she'd say something cruel like this. Mark, you know I love you no matter what you're doing. Oh, stop. <laughs> you know, Mark, God has a plan for your life. Stop, I don't want to hear that. And she'd look at me, and I knew she was seeing the long list of rebellion that I was living out day by day. See, what I knew about my mom was when I was living at home, I'd wake up in the morning. She'd do weird stuff. I'd wake up in the morning. She'd be sitting in the living room with the Bible reading it. Oh, are you kidding? Or she'd have that Bible in her lap while she's sitting there early in the morning and she'd be praying. Just used to eat me up watching her do that kind of stuff. One of the reasons is because I know now looking backwards is I felt so much guilt around her. But you see, that's because I knew the Lord at that point and I saw God at work in her and I didn't like it and so it's just easier to stay away from her. I have a son who's like that. He's weird. You know Colin. He was here, pre- preached for us on a su- Sunday morning in April. Weird kid because he does this kind of stuff. I remember as a kid, we were in a van somewhere in a bad part of town. I was trying to catch some gangbangers who were vandalizing our church. And so I was driving around looking for them. <laughs> I caught them. Of course, then, you know, when you catch them, then you got okay, now what do I do with this? Um, it's better to think about that ahead of time. Well, we're driving around over there and Colin, by this time he's a teenager, he's sitting in the van with us going, this is not safe, we don't need to be here. Smart kid, weird, smart. Here's how I knew that I had a genius, spiritually minded, discerning kid on my hands when he was probably five, six years old, I don't know. Teresa had a thing with our kids, she's pretty straight with them. And they'd start going nuts, letting emotions run wild with them, and she'd, give them, she'd go to her hand, like, you look at me. And they all over the place. and she go. You look at me right here. And she to her nose, and those kids lock in. And she started in on you. I'm gonna tell you something. And at one point, Colin, the discerning one, said, Mommy, you're scaring me." Smart kid. Her response was, "I'm trying to scare you." See, he picked it up. She didn't have to spell it out for him. Now let me tell you something. That's how we ought to be. Your walk with God ought to be so close that when you encounter the unreal, you ought to recognize it just like that. Ever walk into a church, and you know the moment you walk in if that church is healthy or not by the spirit that's there. used to bless my socks off as pastor of a church in deep south Texas. Visitors would come in, and they'd leave, and, they'd and we'd follow up with them, and they'd say, man, we walked in, and it was, like, it was like God was there before anything ever even happened. That's a good goal to shoot for, to have a spirit that's at work there where the people are so in tune with who God is and what he's called them to be that outsiders pick it up. You see this in this passage? i didn't get to this so I can be quiet and let you go home. First of all, verse 41 and verse 44, that's the John the Baptist joy leap. And Elizabeth says in verse 44 that he leapt for joy. Now, how does she know that? By the way, for that matter, how does she know all the other stuff that she said about Mary? This is their first meeting. They didn't have tweets, uh, tweet, Twitters, and Facebook back then. How did she know these things about Mary? And The answer is, it says in there, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. How did John the Baptist in the womb know to respond to what was going on with Mary? the prophecy about him, it says, and even from the womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies to the Spirit. So we all ought to be discerning. We all ought to get it. It all comes back to who we're listening to. You ever been to a church business meeting? And everybody agreed. I mean, I'm not just talking about voted the same. I'm talking about everybody was in the same accord. Pastor of a church. I was pastor of a church where one of our deacons said this to me. It was not here. Okay, it was not here. This guy said to me, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. He's God's problem now. He said this to me as long as I'm alive, there will never be a unanimous vote in this church. Really? That's dumb. You ever been in a church where they were genuinely in one accord? That's the spirit way. But you see, our emotions get tagged. We start feeling jealousy or we start feeling hurt, offended. We let those emotions rule us rather than the spirit of God the Holy Spirit brings clarity to the activity and the presence of God and when that happens it feels good let's pray Lord there's a lot in this for us we don't pretend to have grasped even the surface of it So we pray that your spirit would even now complete this message in our hearts. Draw us close. Help us to hear. Help us to understand the proper place of our emotions in our own outgoing Christian life. As we tell this story, may it be full of life so that you might be glorified in Jesus' name.